The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Good Sunday morning to you. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio. You can text and call us today on our studio line, 651-989-9226. As the second quarter continues the trend of climbing out of 2021, as global optimism is reigning in light of these vaccinations. We've got a lot to get into today. Here's Senior Vice President Financial Advisor Peg Webb with our special guest host today as Bruce is off. Hi, Peg. Good morning, everyone out there. Uh, Bruce is uh, getting a well-deserved day off, but no fear. We actually have a special guest, one that lots of uh, our listeners have heard frequently is Chris Harstek. And Chris is one of my favorite roundtable people. Uh, he is certainly a specialist, but he specializes in being the director of our investment department. Uh, Big job, big, big. Uh, Wealth Enhancement Group has billions of dollars under management, and our clients entrust uh, this uh, person and roundtable. But, Chris, you've got quite the background. I mean, you've worked with high net worth families. You've worked with institutions since 2001, and you have an extensive knowledge in all related related items to investing and even as far as private equity and real estate. I could go on and on and on. But he also has some fun, even though it's super busy at Wealth Enhancer Group. In his spare time, he loves going to the Minnesota lakes. He's got a wife, uh, Jenna, and two sons, uh, Brooks and Max. Welcome, Chris. Well, thank you for that introduction, Peg. It was uh, far, far too generous, but I, I do appreciate it. Um, before we jump into things, I do want to say that we ha- we definitely have a team of investment leaders at Wealth Enhancement. As you said, we are managing significant am- significant amounts of money at this stage, and there's a great team uh, on the investment team, just like there's a great team on our state team. I know we've had many guests that have talked about tax over the years, and I think our listeners have really appreciated those various guests. And, and so uh, the t- the concept of a roundtable exists on the investment team, too, so we are developing specialties uh, within the investment team, and I, I look forward to just continuing to up our game uh, as an investment team overall. Well, uh, frequent listeners probably know that you're on uh, pretty much every quarter uh, giving an update of maybe a little bit about the past, maybe the first quarter of this year quickly, and then uh, how did the second quarter go how about we start with just an overview of our kind of global economic growth and what's happening today? Yeah, so I think that's a great starting point. Obviously, 2020 is part of the the narrative when we're talking about 2021 because what went down uh, in that year has now been coming back up. It's kind of that uh, force of nature, force of gravity, et cetera. And so we are seeing that in the economic data. The economic data, extremely robust, I think, 
Uh, Rashini mentioned, you know, obviously the vaccine deployment uh, and the emergency approval of that was a big uh, reason for a lot of things coming back online, such as uh, people going out and attending events, getting on airplanes, uh, staying at hotels, going to restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in addition to that, that was kind of on the back of those things that were working before that occurred. So a lot of the technology things that were going on, the very low interest rates in terms of housing, uh, driving housing, driving a, a low cost of money, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the point is that in the second quarter, uh, the numbers aren't out yet, but we expect that it'll be the strongest quarter uh, really since World War II. And, and a big reason for that is because the whole uh, world is really turning back on the economic engines. And so it's not just the U.S. We talk about the U.S. a lot, but uh, if we look to Europe, if we look to Japan uh, and o- other parts of the world, they're, they're turning back on. Now, there's been some more, more recent headlines in regards to maybe what's going to occur with the Olympics and attendance there uh, due to uh, various, various uh, elements of the virus and, and things of that nature. But the reality is that overall, uh, things are, are trending in the right direction. Uh, the U.S. has reached, a, you know, almost that 70 percent goal for vaccination uh, distribution and the comfort level, the return to normalcy is definitely out there. And so, again, 2021, the inverse of 2020, in that uh, we'll probably see uh, real GDP growth of seven-ish, six, and six to seven percent is where things are going. When we came into the year, most people were thinking four to five, so that's a good number. And now as we look into 2022, which is our job to look forward, uh, we're seeing uh, those expectations go up just slightly too. And and so we're probably going to see a, a lot of people in terms of, of their predictions around that 4% GDP number uh, and that's a real GDP number. So after uh, inflation, so that's, that's a really, really strong number. We haven't had 4% uh, GDP in, in several years. And so that's, that's exciting for the economy, and we see a lot of uh, positivity around that element. Uh, that's led to higher consumer confidence, uh, in addition to kind of the wealth effect as people are building equity in their house, in their 401k balance, in their in their other brokerage accounts, et cetera. And so those numbers are really uh, exceeding expectations, too. And so consumer confidence at this juncture is actually higher than 2006 and 2007, uh, when we were, had a very strong housing market at that stage, the market had yet to go into that great financial crisis that we experienced. And uh, as we look at the leading economic indicators, which is which is what we're focused on, um, you know, employment is strong, but that's a backward-looking number. Actually, it's a it's a derivative or it's an, a knock-on effect of what's going on. Uh, so what we look at is le- leading economic indicators, um, and that's actually above the peak that was reached in January of 2020. If we think back to pre-pandemic. January and February of 2020 were really good times overall uh, for the economy, and, and we're actually back past that peak from a, from an economic indicator standpoint. So I think that's a high, highly positive indication of of uh, kind of what we'll see for the next uh, 12 to 18 months uh, at this stage. You know, you mentioned consumer confidence, and to tie it back into, <clears throat> uh, you know, I meet with clients pretty much every day. And I have to tell you, they are confident. They are out there booking tickets. And with the time they have left, they want to go travel and do the things that they feel like they missed out on. So, yes, the airports are busy. The booking agents for trips are busy. But still there's this um, hesitation as to why the markets would really be this high uh, we talk a little bit about the rising debt levels that concern some clients. 
but they love that these interest rates are really low, not for their savings so much, but for their children and grandchildren who are able to go buy these houses now. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, um, yeah, they're confident consumers, but they're a little hesitant about where the markets are sitting right now, especially in the USA. Yeah, I think that's a common narrative. Like you said, you meet with clients every day and, and, uh, you know, I think people have seen this movie before, right, where things have seemed uh, very, very good. And then they know that the other side of that, uh, there can be some volatility. There can be some uh, some some negatives that come of that. Right. And so from our standpoint, um, we recognize that we're talking to people about that on a regular basis. But one of the reasons I think and you hit on this in regards to uh, the driver is that what we did from an interest rate standpoint, what we did from a stimulus standpoint was that we were as a as a nation, as a, uh, as a, as a leaders, finance leaders around the world, uh, they were much more aggressive than they were in 2008, 2009. We were able to arrest a very bad economic situation uh, very quickly because they learned some lessons from that 08 or 09 period, and that was to get money in the hands of consumers and to do it as fast as possible. And, you know, if it was a little bit too much, they wanted to err on the side of a little bit too much versus uh, too little, and that uh, I think uh, returned us to uh, a path of somewhat confidence on a go-for basis. No, we, we didn't necessarily know what was going to help happen uh, from a healthcare standpoint, um, but from an economic standpoint, it felt like we were going to at least get to the other side or have a chance to get to the other side and see this type of growth, right? But if we go back to the interest rate component, and I think that's the big, big component that we're talking about. If we look at interest rates, the 10-year Treasury yield. Um, as of Friday was about 1.35%. So if you give money to the government for the next 10 years, they're going to pay you 1.35% interest. Uh, that's very, very low. It's not the all-time low. Uh, the all-time low was about a year ago at this time. We were in the 50 basis, so half a percent range, uh, which was actually uh, extraordinarily low. Um, but the, the reality of what we're looking at today is that it was inflation coming up a little bit. That 1.35, even if it went to two, it's probably going to be below the long-term inflation level. And so the cost of money today is very, very low. Uh, in fact, if you look at uh, what we call the real yield uh, in, in the marketplace, that's a negative at this at this point. That doesn't happen very often. Even when we've been in this very low interest rate environment for the last 12 or 13 years, we haven't been negative very often. It's, it's been break even, slightly positive, a little bit negative. Now we're, we're uh, significantly negative in terms of real yields, which means cost of money. Uh, people are borrowing. People are, uh, people in a very good financial position. People are credit worthy are getting money at a very uh, opportune time to deploy that into things that they think will out-earn that, what they're paying for that money. And I think that's been a big driver of what we're seeing going forward. That said, it looks like uh, some of these central banks are going to potentially start to take their uh, foot off the gas. And that doesn't necessarily mean a complete reversal, but this week uh, the Bank of Canada is going to meet. They're probably going to be the first major central bank that will start to taper their efforts to support the economy. And that just means they were buying bonds that were being issued um, in Canada. It's much, much smaller numbers, but they're still pretty significant. So in Canada, I think they're buying like uh, $3 billion of, of bonds on a, a monthly basis, maybe as a weekly. Um, but the point being that that's going to be tapered down probably to $1 or $2 billion. 
And so they're starting the process of taking away uh, some of the juice of what they've been trying to do for the economy. Uh, I think South Korea, some other uh, fairly significant countries are also uh, near this point. And we've heard the U.S. Federal Reserve also indicate that with inflation starting to pick up, they're monitoring it closely, uh, that, that they're uh, telegraphing that they're going to start to do something similar at some point in the future. And they're not going to give the exact timing, but we're starting to see that, hey, we're past the absolute nadir of the crisis. Confidence is good. Um, and so it's time to time to get back a little bit towards normal. I'm not saying we're going to go to four or five percent interest rates, but we will start to see some of the stimulative action uh, come off the table, I think, in the next uh, couple of years. Hey, Chris, um, you mentioned the word inflation, <clears throat> and it sounds like we're already getting lots of texts in. So could you take a couple minutes uh, only to talk about inflation? Because clients are bringing that up. Of course, it's a big headline. Housing costs are skyrocketing. People talk about lumber, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the inflation number that came out in May, I think, was uh, a big driver of this. Now, I think any consumer who goes um, out into the marketplace and, you know, buys things at the grocery store, buys things at uh, the home improvement store was already seeing this. But the actual reported number in May was uh, really headline uh, grabbing in that CPI. So uh, that's the consumer price index, which uh, most people are probably familiar with because it's tied to Social Security um, in terms of what the payments of Social Security might be. It's tied to many other factors in the economy. We've talked about that running at about uh, somewhere in that 2% neighborhood for the last several years. Well, it came in at 5% in May, which is a significant jump. Um, the, the PPI, which is the purchasing um, uh, index, was actually up 6.6. So that's the supply uh, demand of the raw inputs that go into manufacturing, et cetera. That came in at 6.6, which is a, actually also a huge number. But if we think back to uh, what was occurring in May of 2020, because this is year over year, the numbers they're talking about, um, if oil, if you, many of you probably remember it, haven't thought about it, but oil actually traded negative for a few days uh, because of a huge supply glut within the U.S. So West Texas Intermediate Oil, which is kind of the standard clearing price that everyone talks about in terms of oil prices, that traded negative because there was this huge supply supply glut. Well, obviously now uh, oil's up significantly. The economy's, uh, again, back normalizing, not fully there, but normalizing, right? And so the price of oil is uh, in that 70 to $75 uh, a barrel range. And because of that, that's a, that's a driver within the, the inflation number. As you mentioned, lumber, for, because of the demand for housing, skyrocketed in the spring. That actually t- tapered off demand. Some home builders said, um, this is kind of crazy. Some people who are interested in buying new homes said this is uh, going to change the cost. Uh, it, it's not a one-for-one where when lumber went up four or 500%, that the cost of a house went up that much. Obviously, the input into the house is much lower, but it was driving costs up by uh, 5 to 10%, it seemed like, based on the data that I read. And people just said, you know what, I don't think this is going to last. It's due to supply chain issues. Uh, it's due to a little bit of a dust-up between uh, our friends in Canada and the U.S. and some tariffs that were applied there and some issues around, I think, uh, uh, letting in certain uh, lumber connected to uh, possible diseases, uh, et cetera. And so long story short, that supply glut has come off. Lumber prices have fallen about 40 to 50% since that point. They're still up from last year, but that's what we call 
uh, transitory inflation versus structural inflation change. And structural means a longer-term inflation change. And so we're also seeing it with cars. There's this issue around semiconductor chips that they're you know going into cars cars have become so electronic nowadays that the that they require a lot of this new technology from a semiconductor chip standpoint and that's meant a backlog of being able to produce new cars it's increased used car prices it's increased uh, new car prices um, and and that's a supply chain issue too uh, that's likely to get solved I know there's several uh, several groups that are instituting uh, bringing back manufacturing of, of semiconductor chips, building new plants, et cetera. And so I think we'll see that uh, start to taper off a little bit as well. But that said, the 2% inflation number that people have been talking about for year after year and that the Fed has said, hey, we would really like to have at least 2% inflation, uh, we'll, we'll probably see us uh, ourselves as an economy be above that uh, for some duration here. But we are seeing signs that this is highly transitory. Um, and the structural thing of returning to the 1970s and 1980s, uh, high single digits, low double digits inflation doesn't appear to be in the cards. It's a low probability event still at this stage. Uh, there's a lot of tools in the toolkit, uh, to reduce demand, uh, to, to bring up the cost of money, et cetera. And so, so this inflation scare, well, um, <laughs> it, it will seem a little bit concerning maybe in the short term. I don't think it's a long term issue. Right. Peggy Bruce, we've think, got, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say we have a lot of texts coming in. So before we get to break, let's try to get to a couple of them. Remind people of the phone number. You can phone in or text in 651-989-9226. All right. This texter says, I manage my own money and mutual funds. Can wealth enhancements still help me and give me advice with my retirement funds and where to move my money between funds? What to do when I get to 59 and a half and need to deal with my annuity? Thank you. I'm 56 right now. Uh, Sure, I'll set set it up a little bit. So the person is looking to, they already have invested, and they're they're mentioning mutual funds and asking if Wealth Enhancement Group can uh, help with that. Of course we can. We we offer a a free consultation to find out whether uh, we have a match with you to see if we can help you. Uh, we look at, you know, what are you invested in? How much risk are you taking? Uh, what are you paying your current advisor? What is it that our roundtable could, um, uh, you know, suggest that maybe you do differently based on what we do at Wealth Enhancement Group? So, yes, if you contact our company or work with your current advisor, you know, to answer, get all those questions answered. And then when it comes to investments, uh, Chris, maybe you could talk a little bit about what our philosophy is. Yeah, so I, I think in regards to investment vehicles, so mutual funds are just one way to invest. We are comfortable investing in ETFs if it's the right in- instrument or comfortable investing in individual stocks or bonds if it's the right investment. And for some people, uh, limited partnerships uh, that include hedge funds, private equity, et cetera, are also the right investments. Um, so a mutual fund is, simply a wrapper in regards to what's the underlying holdings. And so, uh, unfortunately, just knowing that someone owns mutual funds doesn't necessarily tell us what they're invested in. could be a mutual fund uh, dedicated to Czechoslovakia or could be a mutual fund dedicated to the S&P 500, et cetera. And so uh, we do take the time to understand exactly what someone has going on, as Peg said, and part of that is to do a look through into what's actually held by these funds. And that's really, really important because asset allocation. So what's 
what you actually own drives about 85% of your return. Uh, so how you're dividing it across the globe uh, between stocks, bonds, um, other alternatives, et cetera, that drives 85% of the return. And then the, the people that you employ to, to actually do that job uh, drives the remainder of those returns uh, when it comes to the investment part. So uh, without seeing the exact portfolio, very difficult to give uh, an exact prescription, but that's what we do. We give an exact prescription when we are able to look at the data and uh, steer the portfolio where we think uh, the world is going over the next three to five years. Uh, we're not going to tell you what, what it's going to do over the next three to five days. We say that very often. So. Uh, Rashini, I was thinking, you know, so we're getting close to the break, but we are talking about uh, an overview of what the economy is doing. What did it do last quarter? What do we see coming up? We still have a couple of really uh, important topics like taxes. And, and then I want to wrap it up too, Chris, after the break about our investment strategy. Like how do we actually then take all that information and strategize as to what the portfolios are going to look like, you know, in the near term, maybe the rest of the year. So, Rashini, um, I'm going to hand it back to you then because um, I'd love to get more listeners involved in the second half. Absolutely. Remind people of the numbers, 651-989-9226. We have several great texts. You can also call us, get personal advice from Peg and Bruce, uh, Peg and Chris, sorry, Chris. And, of course, during the week, you can reach out to the entire team at 888-6ADVICE. Lots of great information. Chris is always a wealth of knowledge. And one of my questions, a little teaser when we come back, Chris, is you mentioned that jobs numbers aren't always the indicator we want it to be. So I hope we can dig into that uh, when we get back from break. You're listening to Your Money today with Peg and our special guest co-host, Chris Harstick, of course, both from the great team over at Wealth Enhancement Group. Call us, text us, 651-989-9226. This program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC. A registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Sound strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Wealth Enhancement Group, helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. We're back. Rashini Rajkumar here along with your host, Peg Webb, and our special guest co-host today, Chris Harstick from Wealth Enhancement Group. And Peg and Chris are talking about how to be optimistic and smart as we try to pull out of some of the challenges of 2020 and some that linger into 2021. Peg, lots of great information today. Yeah, I just want to take two seconds just to reintroduce uh, Chris. Chris Harstek is one of our roundtable team of specialists and one of our directors of investments and actually uh, responsible for the billions of dollars that our clients have entrusted in us. And so welcome, Chris, again. I'm looking forward to the second half. I just want to take a couple minutes here to get the last two points of our outline, and then I know there's a lot of uh, listeners that want to get involved. So uh, the two things left are taxes, and then what's our strategy then, given what we know about interest rates and inflation and, you know, the, the world economy, you know, is there some points that the listeners could take away from today uh, strategically, what are we going to do? 
sure. So I always love the question, so I'll try and go through these as fast as possible. But uh, in terms of taxes, when we're when I'm talking about taxes, I'm talking about relative to the market, uh, not necessarily uh, from a CPA standpoint, right? And so as we're looking at the, a lot of the tax policy that's come through, there's been a lot of relief that was put forward to help uh, small businesses, to help individuals, et cetera. That uh, likely continues. Uh, however, we are seeing some people have consternation over a potential change to the capital gains rate. Now it's come down some uh, since the election flashpoint around capital gains. But I would tell uh, those individuals who have major concerns over it, first, uh, the reality is that the vast majority of assets, or not the vast, but a big percentage of assets within the market actually have uh, little tax implications to them. So there's pension funds, there's large 401k balances, there's endowments, there's sovereign wealth funds that are investing in the market. And they run billions and sometimes trillions of dollars, like in the case of Norway's sovereign wealth fund. None of those are taxable, right? So they're not going to make a decision based on a tax change. Second, uh, you know, those individuals, you control your taxes when you realize those uh, those taxes. And I think that's important to keep in mind. So you don't even if uh, the rate goes up, you can mitigate it uh, by selling something that has a loss. Um, or you can mitigate it by by doing it gradually over time. You don't have to do it all at once. And so. Uh, we've looked at the data and we don't think that affects the market in a significant way based on prior times that capital gains rates have changed uh, in an upward fashion. So remember that. Uh, second, we're seeing uh, uh, came out of Venice yesterday, the G20 nations met, and there's very likely to be uh, some some agreement in regards to taxation for corporations around the globe. So we'll stop this race to the bottom to a degree. Uh, that seems like it will be a positive because it'll uh, make the landscape uh, a little bit more certain on a go-forward basis for all parties. Businesses are great at adapting. Uh, businesses are also great at going out and utilizing their leverage to uh, find the, the lowest possible uh, tax tax uh, regime for them. And that's meant that it, it's made uh, managing uh, various government entities harder and the G20 finally acquiesced and and are going forward with a, a kind of a global slash international tax rate uh, that will be at least a, a minimum level. So I think that's an interesting development that happened yesterday uh, in regards to taxes. Now, and if we pivot to investment strategy quick, you know, I think uh, we talked about this in the first half of the show, the extremes that we saw in 2020, the extreme uh, that we measures that we saw to rescue the economy, that's distorting some of the data. We kind of talked about what it's meant for inflation. We talked about the low interest rates, the negative real interest rate for those people who are borrowing has meant money is very cheap in order to to, to borrow and utilize for higher and better productive uses. Um, we see that distortion gradually fading away, not overnight. And so as we're as we're trying to look through uh, the data on a go forward basis, I would say there are some unintended consequences that will probably develop. Will they be major? Probably not, but those unintended consequences need to be monitored, and that's what we're looking at on a go-forward basis. Uh, we also think the inflation story um, is a little bit uh, being driven by headlines as opposed to the reality on the ground, and we think it's uh, so this transitory element of inflation is likely the case, and we'll see the structural or the longer-term inflation uh, start to moderate as we go in, into the months and quarters ahead. And so hopefully – uh, people don't get overly concerned about that and make uh, swift investment decisions based on a change in inflation. Uh, that said, I think you should be diversified. Um, you know, from this standpoint forward, 
we're looking at a, a, a probably a fairly challenging uh, market from a from a fixed income standpoint. Um, and so you need to be diversified, but you also need to have fixed income because there will be another time when equities correct 10, 20 uh, percent or more. And in order to buy equities when they're on sale, uh, so stocks are great businesses, you need to have dry powder in order to do that. And we think that's of utmost importance. And it also keeps you invested uh, for the long term. So someone who bought stocks in 1802 uh, for their family who put a dollar into stocks, um, that money is worth, I looked at it the other day, $700,000. $1 turned into $700,000. Uh, but if you, if you bought $1 of, of gold, it's worth like $300. If you bought $1 of, uh, of bonds, it's worth, uh, that's like a thousand dollars. Uh, great. That's actually a really great result, but not like that stock, uh, result. And so owning businesses over time is of utmost importance. Yeah, yeah, lots of uh, great texts that are coming in. So I want to share some with you. This person, what a sweet guy. If I want to help my sister with her retirement, what would be the best way to do? Should I start a mutual fund for her or something else? Thank you for any suggestions. She is 58 years old today. (laughs) That's a really nice guy. Well, let me just start with saying uh, I, I like how Chris just mentioned diversification. That's key because I'm starting to witness now a little bit with my clients wanting to have us uh, encourage us, I should say, to overweight in the U.S. large company stocks and primarily the growth side because they've witnessed the technology stocks, you know, doing so well. Um, I just want to mention that that's not the thing to do because we don't have any idea in the short term, you know, what type of stocks are going to outperform each other. But when it comes to your sister, I want to talk to about diversification because no matter how much money it is, that's very precious money to that particular individual. It could be $10, it could be a million dollars. And everybody's, uh, Bruce always says they're a snowflake. But even if you have $10, it should be diversified in several different types of buckets, meaning If there's money that you're going to need in the short term, then that better be super safe. Or if it's money that you're going to use five, seven years from now, maybe that's a balance of bonds or stocks or things like that. But then if there's, and I'm hoping because of what Chris said, just the compounding of money, that there would be a percentage that you could put in for the long term. Now, some of you might say, hey, 58 years old today, happy birthday, um, think that's old, but it's so young, you know, just the lifelong years that people are living uh, are way into their 90s. So you've got decades of time to still compound a percentage of that. So diversification is the key. Chris, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, Well, like you said, such a generous uh, guy. That's awesome to hear. I think from my standpoint, one of the things I think about was with uh, parents is that they will they will institute a match for uh, savings, right? So if you save X amount of your allowance, I'll match that dollar amount. Or if you save X amount of your summer job earnings, I will match that. And what they, a lot of parents have done is they've put that into a Roth IRA. Uh, so it's an after-tax number 
they say if you contribute a thousand dollars to to their children, uh, then I'll contribute a thousand dollars too. And that in, that really incentivizes uh, someone to save. That really incentivizes uh, someone to use a, a a really strong investment vehicle, which is that Roth IRA, which comes out tax free. So as Peg said, uh, hopefully the life expectancy for this for your sister is thirty or thirty five or forty years. And if she has a a, a a pot of money that she can withdraw tax free, that would be uh, just the, one of the most generous gifts you could possibly give someone. I think. All right, more texts coming in. I want to remind people you can call us and text us six five one nine eight nine. 9226. That number is both good for the phone line as well as for the text line. This person says, I would like to retire at 62, but healthcare is a problem. What are my best options for healthcare? I do belong to the IBEW union, but my COBRA right now is 1100 a month. Would rather like cheaper options. Yeah, so when it comes to health care, um, Wealth Enhancement Group, yes, has a huge roundtable team of specialists. Healthcare is something that we do guide clients on. And we typically uh, use one of our resources to align, you know, their particular health issues with uh, um, health care policy. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's so many choices out there right now. You can, uh, usually with Cobra, and I mentioned this last week on the radio, one of our clients is retiring soon and the COBRA is $43,000 a year for this couple. Now, they're in, they're uh, 62 years old, so they're not Medicare eligible yet. And they're on what's called a traditional plan, uh, meaning their out-of-pocket is basically zero and, and have no very little co-pays, et cetera. Then the other type is a high-deductible plan. And if you're healthy, then a high-deductible plan may be the perfect thing to go with because you can also do a health savings account uh, with a high deductible plan. And that means you can just save some of your money. You can get a tax deduction and then that money would grow tax free if you use it for health care. So um, what I can recommend to this uh, person is you need to do your homework, uh, contact your financial advisor first and see if they have some resources that you could use. And then if they don't, uh, then you, you need to ask around, maybe get referrals. Um, we, we send people to independent insurance agents, meaning they have the ability to look at multiple companies. And that's important because your health is going to matter and, and some uh, companies don't necessarily give good pricing on this particular health problem, uh, et cetera. So, that um, that should answer that, Rashini. All right, sounds good. This person has a technical question for you both about Wealth Enhancement Group. Are Wealth Enhancement Group officers considered a consolidated offices, considered a consolidated entity, or each office independent franchises and ownership? Uh, when it comes to Wealth Enhancement Group, we are actually all W-2 employees meaning we're employees of the company. So there is no uh, franchises or, you know, independence uh, in that fashion. 
Uh, Rashini, let's try to get some, while I've got Chris here, let's try to get some of those investment questions. Uh, yep, we are is... getting to those. We've got Kelly on the line from White Bear Lake. Hi, Kelly. Good morning, Rashini. I have a question for Chris and Peg uh, about required minimum distributions on retirement plans, such as IRAs or 401ks, 403bs. I know that the old age you had to start taking those required minimum distributions used to be the year you turned 70 and a half, but I've heard or read some things that now you can push it out to age 72, and also that because of the pandemic, some in some cases people were allowed to skip taking their, their RMD, but afterwards, after things clear out now, they'll have to go back and take out last year's. What exactly are the new rules and regulations? Yes, I can answer that, Chris. Um, so back in January 1st of 2020, pre-COVID, uh, the SECURE Act was um, came out. And the SECURE Act said, hey, that's 70 and a half rule uh, to take out required minimum distributions. And what that is, is it's a percentage of the value of your IRAs that you're mandated to take out each year starting at 70 and a half. They changed that to 72. And the idea there was because people are working longer, give them the ability, you know, to save longer and also um, delay having to mandatorily take the money out. On the flip side, though, the way that they um, offset the taxation there, because there's a year and a half now that they're not collecting taxes, is that the beneficiary, not your spouse, but your, say, your children, they now cannot stretch out their required minimum distributions over their lifetime. They're mandated to cash in those IRAs by the 10th year. So you can see that that would accelerate the taxes for the government um, by way of lots of years. The other thing you mentioned was skipping required minimum distributions. That was actually a COVID uh, thing that came out last year that they felt bad that all the values of these IRAs are down. Why would they make people take money out when it's just such a bad time? And so they gave reprieve for having to take out the required minimum. Now that's all changed. 2021, we're back to having the mandated required minimums. Okay, we've got more texts coming in, and we have just a few minutes left of the show today, folks. So remember, call us, text us, 651-989-9226. Peg and Chris are here to answer all of your investment questions. How exactly does an IUL life insurance product work? What does it mean that it's based on an index? Is it invested? Um, you know, I'm thinking my table that one for next week because there's a lot of detail to that. And I asked uh, Chris a, a couple questions that I'm getting every day from clients. One is, are stocks actually overvalued? I mean, these reviews are easy, right? They're just so excited that all their percentages are up and, oh, Peg, I have no questions. I'm happy, you know. But then I probably get every other day, is the market overvalued? Can you comment on that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think from our standpoint, we're, we, that's obviously our job is to watch the market and watch valuations. 
and to look at valuations in comparison to other assets out there. And so from our standpoint, we do that uh, every single day, right? Uh, as we look at the world today, if stocks uh, are at elevated valuations on a historical context, but like I said earlier, interest rates are very, very low uh, and real interest rates are negative, which means that uh, stock prices are supported uh, with that uh, ability to create value around borrowing and uh, investing money um, in their business, growing their products, growing their supplies, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so from that standpoint, um, you know, stocks are roughly where you would think they would be. I think the key going forward is that we foresee uh, equities will generate what they've historically generated over long periods, which is about a 6% real return after inflation. So if inflation is 2% or inflation is, uh, if inflation is 2, that means returns will be 8-ish. Uh, if inflation is 5, they'll be 11. Um, and that would align with historical long-term returns of inflation being between 2 and 5 and stocks, uh, stocks appreciating at somewhere in that 10, 11, uh, 9, 10, 11% neighborhood. And so, we don't think that relationship has changed on a go-forward basis. We also don't think the relationship in fixed income has necessarily changed where people who are creditors, that's what you are if you're a bondholder, you're lending, you're essentially letting people use your money um, in, a, in a credit fashion worthy situation and you're earning a return on that. We think that real return, so after inflation, will also be positive like it has been historically on a go-forward basis. Uh, cash is where you're going to probably actually have the most trouble uh, on a go-forward basis, it's clearly losing money to inflation at this standpoint, uh, likely will for the for the future years uh, as well. And so what I would say is you need to think about the world in context of the real return from stocks, bonds, and cash. And we think those relationships are, are roughly the same except the cash one. Uh, we don't see that going back to – it was a real return for much of the 80s, 90s, uh, 2000s. Uh, where you are earning a real return on your cash or breaking even, at least after inflation. Uh, so we don't think that actually persists uh, in, the, in the near future or intermediate term at this stage. All right, here's a great question, Peg. This person is wondering, could you explain how wealth enhancement manages individual investors? Probably we were naive when we joined our current situation, saying that individual and uh, individual investments would be addressed individually. They're finding, though, that investments are put in large classes, get moved around with many others. We were told we don't have time for individual clients. Is that how all financial planners work? Yeah, that's a great question. I know we've only got a few seconds here, but um, think about it as if you have individual clients and each one of them has individual portfolios, then that would take an army to watch over individual portfolios that have different holdings. Uh, there's something to be said by streamlining uh, your investments. If, it's, if you purchase a portfolio and it's good for one of your clients, why wouldn't it be just as good for another client if they have the same objectives? And so that makes sense to us. And then being able to take limited discretion and change those portfolios in a, a short order is actually very, very important to the consumer as well. So I used to be one of those people that had portfolios that had all those individual securities, and it's a nightmare. You can't keep track of that anyway. So I'm a big fan of streamlining uh, what we do. Thanks, Roshini. 
All right. Great question and great answer, Peg. All right. Well, it's already time for the end of the show. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Bruce will be back along with Peg. You can, of course, all week ask your questions of Peg, Bruce, and Chris at 888-6ADVICE or email them at yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. We, it was wonderful to have Chris with us today. We got some comments about how great he was with the information. Make it a great week, everyone, and we will catch you next week. The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey, Inc.